All right, so I'm going to invite you to turn over to uh, the book of Jonah. And, and if you've got a pew, uh, if there's a pew Bible and you, you're using that, then it's on page 920. And um, what does it mean? And why in the world would a prophet run from God? Um, we're going to do a study in Jonah through the summer, so I thought it would be helpful just to, uh, we're going to probably do a little background, but I, but I think that's it's the good question here. Uh, uh, we don't know a lot about Jonah, but I bet you every person that you talk to most likely has heard the story of Jonah. And, and they would say the Jonah and the fish, or maybe Jonah and the well. We don't know it was a well. We know it was a big fish, but it'd have to be an awful big fish, uh, obviously, to swallow a man. Uh, but so we're going to be looking at that, and we're going to be asking ourselves, why in the world uh, would a prophet run from the presence of God? That seems almost a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, you're a prophet. I mean, a prophet, Old Testament prophet, uh, was supposed to um, deliver the word of God just as God delivered it to them. But yet we find in Jonah that uh, he is running from God. Now, Jonah is a minor prophet. There's 12 of them. He's a minor prophet, but he's also one of the earlier prophets. And he's prophesying to the northern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom was the, the 10 tribes that split off from, uh, from Judah uh, in the south and Benjamin. And so you've got 10 tribes in the north. And what they did is they basically, they, they, uh, they divided the nation and they established kind of their own religion, if you will. They, they set up two calves. And you know something's going to go wrong when you set up two calves and you worship them. There was one in Bethel and one in Dan to the north. And so, uh, but he, God sent prophets to them, Elijah, Elisha, um, and so uh, Micaiah. And a lot of the prophets were, some of them were writing prophets and some of them were just, you know, they were preaching. They were just preaching, you know, telling the nation they needed to come back to God. They needed to get rid of the idolatry. And they never did. They never did get rid of the calves until uh, Josiah, uh, a king in Judah, right at the end of Judah's uh, time, uh, actually uh, destroyed the, uh, the uh, Bethel uh, calf uh, worship there. And so we don't know much about Jonah, but we do know he, 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 he prophesied in the 8th century. And we also know that he ministered during the reign of Jeroboam II. And, I, and, I, and you say, well, boy, why all these details? Well, Jeroboam II reigned right, you might, if you might think of it, he reigned almost at the end, right about 30 or 40 years before Israel goes into captivity by the Assyrians. And so it's, he's a, he's, and so Jonah is prophesying to this to Jeroboam the uh, second and the kingdom there, and uh, he's also a contemporary. Think about this: he's a contemporary of Isaiah in the south, and he's also a contemporary of Amos, who is a prophet from Judah who's preaching in Israel. And Amos's message is this: God's going to destroy Israel if they don't repent. And Israel's response to God when Amos preaches is, but you would not return, you would not repent. And he, he repeats that five times, by the way, in the book of Amos. So, and so you got these contemporaries and their, their ministry at the same time. And, and then there's Jonah, who only thing we know about him is in 2 Kings 14.25. So if you turn to your pew Bible at 377 and go back to 2 Kings chapter what did we say? Chapter 14, 2 Kings chapter 14. We read about Jonah. There's only one verse there that tells us about Jonah. 
And you say, well, why is this important? Well, it's important because Jonah was a popular prophet. If you wanted to say a patriot, Jonah is a patriot. Jonah is well-liked by his country because you know why? Well, notice verse 25. Now, well, actually, I'm going to start with verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, Jeroboam II, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not repart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored, now notice this, he restored the border of Israel from Laboth Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hepher. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. So, so what happens here is that Israel is experiencing, you might say, uh, kind of a uh, renaissance. They're, actual, they're, they're actually advancing the territory uh, to where God had promised that they would go. And, and so Jonah gets to be the prophet of good news for change and says, look what God is going to do. You're going to increase your, your, your you are going to experience prosperity again in Israel. Things are really going to get good and, and people are going to be, they're going to have money in their pocket and gas, the cost of gasoline is going to go way down. Well, they didn't, well, I don't know what, they, didn't, they had chariots. So maybe the cost of horses uh, would go down, whatever that is. But the point is, is Israel's experiencing this boom economy right now and Jonah gets the one to deliver the message. He's popular but then all of a sudden, God says to him, now, I got a good new assignment for you. And I'm thinking, Jonah's thinking, well, what is this? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to plant a church in the Bahamas. I, I get to go somewhere where I can enjoy the weather and I can enjoy, you know, the, the yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, think I, I, I think I deserve that. I mean, I've been a good prophet and Israel's doing well. I guess, you know, I should receive some of the... My, we're, I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the idea that in, a, in the mind of man, we might be thinking Jonah is saying, boy, I can't wait for my next assignment. But what does God say in Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3? We're going to look at that. Let's, let's look at that now. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Oh, wait there, it's not Bahamas. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, or Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now think about it. He pays the fare, he never gets there, and he doesn't get a refund. Okay, I mean, this, this is Jonah. He's, he's you know, he, he's kind of gone thinking, okay, what's going on here? But the point is, is although Jonah's story is about Jonah, it's also about Israel and their misunderstanding of who and what they're supposed to be as God's people. But it's also more even about who God is and what God was, is going to reveal to Jonah and to us as we go through this book is that the God of Scripture is so much different than the God of our imagination. 
Because in Jonah's mind is this. This is what his thinking is. God blesses good people, and good people are Israelites. God judges bad people, and the bad people are the Assyrians. And there's no place for grace, and there's no place for mercy, and there's no place for compassion, but there is a lot of place in Jonah's thinking for judgment. And can you think about it? And we're, we're going to look at that because the story of Jonah is not just, is not just about Je- <clears throat> Jonah saying to God, I mean, think about it. Of all the prophets, you think about the prophets were called to deliver the message of God. And when God said go, they went. And God told Jonah to go, and Jonah said no. He said no. He said flat out, I'm resigning, and I'm resigning today. <laughs> In fact, if you don't get it, he, said, he, take, he takes a 50-mile journey on foot southwest to Joppa. That's, where, that's how long it took. It would probably take, on foot would take you how many days? Th- three days maybe, four days to walk 50 miles? Well, let me see, at my rate... <laughs> <laughs> maybe five days, okay, or maybe a little longer, okay. But the point is, is he goes 50 miles, and then he buys a ticket to go to Tarshish, and Tarshish is 3,000 miles the other way. And it's to the, Tarshish was considered the end of the world. Now, I think Jonah is determined to get away from his assignment. I do think he resigned here, okay. He is saying, look, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm history, I'm gone, I'm out of here. You know, it's like, you know, you're not even going to get a letter of resignation. I'm voting with my feet. I'm going the other way. And, and that's where we're at in this passage. And so, so the question that most every child asks when they start about two years old is what? You're selling him something, why? Well, because. Why? Because. Why? Because. And why? So there's this big why at the, at the front of Jonah. Why would Jonah run from God knowing that you can't get away from the presence of God? He knows Psalm 139. He knows, he knows the scriptures. It's not like he's this, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just start out. You know, he's, he's not just beginning his ministry here. He knows what God has said in God's word. But before we get to judging Jonah too much... We need to ask ourselves, well, what was it God was asking him to do? So I want to look at Jonah's call. Then we're going to look at Jonah's resignation. And then we're going to ask ourselves, why? Why did he run? Well, let's look at his call. Jonah's call is to go to Nineveh. And God, on the, I mean, and, and it seems very clear that God wants him to go to Nineveh, right? I mean, it says, rise, go to Nineveh. And God says it's a great city. In fact, Nineveh was a city whose walls, now think about it, Nineveh had walls around the city. Now, the city is about a 50-mile circumference. That's a, that's a big city. That's, a, that's as big as Chicago metropolitan. And the walls of the city are 100 feet high. The towers of the city, there's 1,500 of them, and they're 200 feet high. And... The, uh, the, and the street around on the walls is three chariots wide. Now, a chariot, I don't know how wide a chariot is, but you get three chariots. I mean, it's, in other words, it's, it's not a four-lane highway, but it's, it's maybe at least two or three. 
But that's not really the problem with, I mean, it's a dangerous call just because of the fact of who the Assyrians are. They are cruel. They would decapitate their captives. They would flay them alive. In other words, just flay their skin off alive. They would cut off their leg. When they, capt- they captured their, their ends, they cut their legs off and cut one arm off. And they would leave one arm so that they could shake hands with the enemy and mock them before they died. I mean, th- I mean th- these are cruel people. They're wicked. Uh, they're perverse in every way. And in Jonah's mind, he's asking the question that probably we would ask, right? Why would God want to go and deliver a message to people that wicked and that perverse? Well, I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, like James and John, when the Samaritan village, remember when they, they refused to listen to him, they says, do you want us to call fire from down from heaven to destroy them? I think in Jonah's mind, he's thinking they deserve judgment. There's no way that these people in any form or fashion, deserves mercy. In fact, Lord, it makes no sense to me, and therefore, as far as I'm concerned, I know it's, a, it's, it's I mean, think about it. Just, in, just on the surface, it's a pretty dangerous call, right? It would be like, uh, it would be like somebody uh, telling a Jewish rabbi in New York in World War II, go and preach on the streets of Berlin and tell Hitler he needs to repent. Now, what, do you, what chances are there that that person's going to survive? Very little to none. <laughs> okay. Now, so it is pretty dangerous, so we can't judge Jonah, you know, thinking that. And, and think about the difficulty of that. What's the possibility of this, of this ministry succeeding? I mean, you think, I mean, these people, I mean, I'm going to tell them they need to submit to the God Jehovah. I'm a foreigner. I don't speak their language necessarily. I might have to have, he might have had, have to had a, an interpreter. And so Jonah has this, this struggle. In other words, why risk a good thing? He's got a good thing going in Israel, right? Israel's doing well. Economy's going great. Things are expanding. The territory, I mean, from right now, now 40 years from now, they're going to go into captivity, but he doesn't know that. Things look good. Why risk it? I've got a good reputation, a good ministry here. No sense in going to Nineveh. Why would God risk that? Well, in, other words, in other words, God, it, it, it makes no sense. And because it makes no sense, obviously it's not the right thing to do. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you ever, I mean, think about, so, so Jonah is not thinking biblically, but he is thinking emotionally, Right? Because we know in chapter 4, Jonah's angry with God. I knew it. I knew you were going to do that. I wanted you to smite them and kill them and destroy them. And you're going to show mercy? What in the world was that? I mean, that's, that's where he's coming from. I mean, I mean, think about brothers and sisters. Have we ever run from God? Where our emotions dictated our actions rather than scripture. I mean, that happens, right? I mean, sometimes we get angry at God and we say, I just stopped going to church. I've had people tell me that. I got angry at God. He didn't answer my prayer. I just cut him off. Stop going to church. Stop reading my Bible. Stop praying. And you're going like, wow, that's how you respond. That's an emotional response 
to a God that we think exists that doesn't exist. He exists maybe in our mind. That God, God some way is like this big sugar daddy in the sky where I put in a quarter and he gives me a quarter's worth of candy. And that's not the God of the scriptures. But I believe that a lot of times that we're living in a culture kind of like that today, isn't it? People believe that, okay, if I pray for good things, God, I deserve it. And if God doesn't answer, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow off God. I'm, I'm out of here. I, you know, I think our churches in some ways are abandoned because I think people are frustrated and they're thinking emotionally about their life and how God hasn't answered their prayers in the way they want them. And therefore they just write God off. Jonah's doing, I mean, Jonah is an example and you're saying, boy, what, what prophet would do that? Duh. Well, what about me? Have I ever done that? Have I allowed my emotion, my anger, my frustration with God and how he's doing, God's running his world and I don't like the way he's doing it. Bottom line is I question the wisdom of God. Does God know what he's doing? Does God love me? Does God really care? Does God have my best interest out for me? And I believe a lot of times as children grow up, they, they, they struggle with those questions, don't they? I mean, how many children probably would pray, boy, I wish my family would just be this. And it doesn't happen and they get upset and they're thinking, Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? Well, if you're not going to answer that prayer, then I'm going to be angry at you. And, but they're not expressing anything different than us adults do all the time, right? I think God should do this. <laughs> I mean, I've thought, oftentimes I go back, well, Lord, I think this is the way you should bless the church. And God does the opposite. And I go like, I mean, I pray, Lord, I want revival. And what happens? Sometimes the church just, there's all kinds of problems. And you're going like, Lord, I said revival, not, not, not strife, not struggle, not frustration. But when that happens, there's, there's something going on. It's just our misconception of what God thinks is best for us at that moment. See, what Jonah is dealing with is he's dealing with something that I think all of us to a certain degree deal with. And that is, is how does God work his purposes out in our life? And um, Jonah is, yes, he's responding by running away. In fact, uh, what was his first stop? His first stop is Joppa, and his next stop is going to be Tarshish. At least he thinks so. Uh, he's running from the presence of God, but how does that make sense? I mean, think about it. It doesn't make sense. But when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They ran from the presence of God. And God goes walking through the garden and he says, where are you? Now, God knows where they are, obviously. And Adam says, I was afraid and I was naked and I, I'm, I'm hiding in the bushes. In other words, he's, he's experiencing, in other words, Adam and Eve were hiding from God, even though we can't hide from God. God's everywhere. <laughs> But, but, but it kind of goes back to the theme of what, Kenny, you were teaching on in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is not just, there's two senses of fear of the Lord in the Bible. The fear of the Lord, there is the fear of God that, uh, that a person has because when they sin, they're, fearing, they're waiting for that axe to drop on, or the, they're waiting for the hatchet to drop, Right? 
Adam and Eve are experiencing that kind of fear, that terror of God. I know that I've done something wrong and I'm just waiting for judgment. And even Jonah expresses that kind of fear in Jonah 1 here. When the, soldiers, when the sailors come to him, he says, I fear God. But there's another sense in which as Christians, we fear God. It's called the fear of the Lord. It's called reverence. And that kind of fear comes from an understanding of God's holiness and majesty, which causes us to say, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. And what happens in that situation is like Isaiah, we, we cast ourselves at God's feet and say, woe is me, and God cleanses us. And what happens in that moment is we learn what reverence is, is worship. We learn to worship God because we revere him. We, 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 want to, we want to honor him because of who he is. He's worthy of that worship. Well, that's not what Jonah is experiencing right now. He's experiencing a certain terror because he's being disobedient. He's being like, I'm just, wait, I'm just waiting for, for that next shoe to drop. It's going to come soon. I don't know when, but it's going to come. And when it does, I don't know what's going to happen. Just throw me overboard. Let's be done with it. I'm, I'm out of here. And so you, you, you kind of get a feel that Jonah, as he runs away, he, he's, going, he's, he's struggling with this, this idea of, well, where can I go to get, rid of, to, to get out of God's presence? Uh, what can I do? Uh, I, don't, I don't want to do what God wants me to do at this time. Uh, I'll just check out. Uh, that's, that's, that's Jonah. That's, that's where Jonah is right now. But why does Jonah run? I guess the question is, why did he run? And I believe that there's several, re several reasons we find in the scripture here why he ran. But I think one of those reasons is given to us. Jonah is running from the presence of God, basically, because he's showing us what's driving his life. And one of the things that he was running from God is because he didn't have the heart of God. What is God's heart for the lost? Jonah did not have God's heart for the lost. Because think about it, God is holy and just, but he's also what? Loving. And what Jonah is experiencing right now is his, he's hating, he hates his enemies. He hates them so much he doesn't want any of them to survive. But the heart that motivates God is a, God, is, is a different heart because God loves the lost. In fact, God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. So when God looks at the lost, he can't look at men blind, dead, and trespasses in sin and just say, forget them. They're on their own. God, God because of who God is, does something. Yeah, because we're, we're included in the Gentiles, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, and, and so what, 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 what motivates ministry, what motivates us to want to reach the lost should be the love of God. Paul said that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says the love of Christ constrains or controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died. And was raised. So what should motivate ministry? Should it be my planning? Should it be my schedule? 
Should it be if I have time? Should it be if I don't have anything else to do that's better? No, what should move, drive, what motivates ministry is love. You got to love people. And Johnny didn't love the Ninevites. <laughs> and simply put, I mean, why did, he, why did he run? Because basically he does not have the heart of God right now in his life. It's not that Jonah didn't love his own country. He did that. But he didn't love the lost. He, he's, not, he's, not, he's not like Jesus. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus, it says he looked upon the crowds and, and the sheep. And he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? It says, and he, in compassion, began to teach. Or when he went to Jerusalem, what did he say? Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, as he's looking at the city, you who, who, who kill the prophets and are ready to kill Jesus, at that moment, Jesus is weeping over the city. And you're going like, what? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna arrest him. They're going to beat him. So, to the point that, he, by the way, he's almost unrecognizable. They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head and mock him. They're going to put nails in his feet and his hands. And he's going to die on the cross. And Jesus is weeping over them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what to do. Now, that's the heart of God. That is not the heart of Jonah. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, I think a lot of times it's not my heart. It's not any of our hearts, is it? I would rather that God would just judge my enemies just so that I could have my freedom. Because <laughs> I, I don't see any other way. But you know what? The gospel is the only thing that has the power to save my enemies. Because it's the only power that raised me from the dead. Because I would be in that camp if God, by his grace and mercy, hadn't saved me. Right? I mean, because would we, we, we would be no different. We would be in the same boat. Uh, you know, the, the, I mean, think about, we're in, we're in a country today, and we live in a society that takes a whole month to celebrate what? Pride and immorality. Now, shouldn't that cause us to grieve and to mourn and to ask God, Lord, I... I don't know what to do other than just, I, I, need, I, I pray for you to use me, not as an instrument of judgment, as, but as an instrument of hope and reconciliation and even some way transformation. I mean, our, our society is not going to get better by, by fighting hate with hate, but fighting hate with the gospel. And that's what Jonah is, is not is reluctant to listen, to listen to, at least right now. Now, it's going to change, and we're going to look at this, how it changes. But you know something? God is intent on not just changing the Ninevites, but guess who else he's intent on changing? He's intent on changing Jonah's heart. <laughs> Thank God for God who's intent on not letting go of me and changing me and my heart because my heart gets hard. My heart, I mean, you listen to the news and they're, they're saying all these things and you're saying, and yeah, just get rid of that. And you know, you're, you're, you're as intensely angry at what's going on, right? And there's a sense in which it's justly so, but there's in another sense in which we lose sight of the heart of God and what God wants to do with our church and in your life and my life to transform. He uses people like you and me with all of our, well, I'm thinking about all of my warts and wrinkles. God wants to use me to be a, a what? An instrument of transformation. 
by just sharing a simple message. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And if you repent, there's hope and there's forgiveness. Isn't that a great message? It's a much better, I mean, it's, it, it's a message that says, look, if God did it to my life, he can do it in yours. And then they, you know, we don't have to deal with, okay, who did you vote for? Because, <laughs> I mean, obviously that gets into a whole new realm of, I mean, there's no settling of that, right? In other words, it should cause us to mourn. But then Jonah is running away from God, not just because he doesn't have the heart of God. He's not committed to the program of God. What's God's program for the world? What's God's program for this valley or for this, this holler? I call it a hollow. You know, in the north they call it a hollow. It's called a holler. I mean, you know. And what's God? In other words, as I was driving through Chesapeake and, and, uh, and Marmat there, what's God's, what's God's vision and program for this valley, for West Virginia, for this, for this state, for this world, for America? God's has this unshakable commitment to the plan of salvation. He died for the lost. He doesn't have, he doesn't, God's got one, God's got one, it's kind of like God's got one plan. It's a salvation plan. It's the great commission plan. It's a plan that, that's, uh, um, and, and what's amazing about it is you and I get to share in God's good news of forgiveness we get to share in God's good news of being a part of the family of God. Isn't that a great blessing? We get to experience true freedom, the freedom that comes from knowing that our sins have been paid for and that we have a right relationship with God. That's, that's a blessing. But you know, we're also said that we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So, so there's this connection that we have is that now I no longer belong to me. Your home doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. Your marriage doesn't belong to you. You say, well, what do you mean? What I'm saying is that when Jesus comes into your life, you don't own anything. He owns you. He owns everything you have anyway. <laughs> but the point is, is that it's all his. And, and that's why when God calls, we just go. <laughs> Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, remember, remember how Isaiah, after he got up and God says, okay, you're no cl- not unclean anymore. What did Isaiah say? God says, who will go for me? I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Now think what Jonah's doing. I won't go. <laughs> I'll go. I won't go. I'll go. I won't go. I, uh, I'm going to Tarshish. And God says, you all, you'll pay your own fare and you're not going to get a refund. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what happens. See, so Jonah runs away because he's not committed to that. That's the plan for all the prophets was to call Israel. It was to call Israel back from their idolatry and their injustice and for them to repent. And by the way, and their worship was wrong, wasn't it? He was calling them back to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship with the sacrifices that God had, had, had designed and by the priesthood that God. See, that in Israel, they didn't have Levites worship, that, that were doing the worship services. Anyone who could pay the price got to be a priest. 
they were pretty settled in just having this mixture of idolatry and it was called syncretism. They were just putting it all together in a little package. <laughs> it wasn't thus saith the Lord, it was thus saith Jeroboam the first and they just kept doing it. They never did repent of that. They refused. And Jonah in some ways kind of fell into that thinking. I think he just kind of thought, hey, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Jew, uh, you know, we have, a, we have an inside track on God and salvation. But then there's, I think, a third thing here that I think in, that we find in Jonah 4.2, just real quickly here, um, and I'm going to wrap up. But in Jonah 4.2, what does it say? So Jonah's displeased with God, verse 1, and, and it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, this is after Nineveh repents. Now, this is after he repents of not going. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, Lord, I know that you forgive sins and I don't want you to forgive them. John is just not... John, He's just basically saying, look, I don't have that kind of heart. I don't have that kind of desire to see my enemies saved from their commitment to death. And, and I think that that's really, when you, when you stop to think about it, that's really the, the, the real reason. He doesn't understand. He basically doesn't like the fact that God's long-suffering, that he has a steadfast love, a relent, that God will forgive if people repent. And so I think, you know, there's, there's encouragement here as well. Um, you know, if you're showing grace to others and you have a heart that's broken over the sin, not only around you, but even the sin within, uh, you know, that God, God's call on your life is that you can then be, I think, a vessel of transformation. I mean, a person who's just out looking for, you know, always, you know, there's some people that are just always dotting the I's and crossing all the T's, and they miss it, right? There's a form of godliness. There's a form of godliness, which you'd have to say Israel had a form of godliness, but what? The power thereof they denied. Because the power of the gospel is in the cross. It's in, it's in the whole work of Christ and his forgiveness, his plan of salvation. But I think the comfort here in this passage is that even though Jonah turns from God... Guess what? God does not turn from Jonah. Jonah's a believer. You know, as a believer, you know, sometimes you, I could look and I say, boy, Lord, I got it wrong another time. And how many times as I look at Jonah and I say, look, I can't believe Jonah. And then God says, but you know, you're a Jonah. How many times do you have a Jonah heart? How many times do you have a Jonah attitude towards people that you don't like to forgive? How many times do you have people in your life that you would just rather have a grudge and hold that against them? You know, I don't know about you, but I have a Jonah heart a lot of times. But I'm thankful that God's not given up on me yet. And God's not going to give up on any one of his children because the work that he what? He begun. Philippians 1, 6, we learned this. He'll complete, right? God is committed to changing you and me. 
And he wants you and me to have his heart and his plan and to show his grace. To be actually a walking example of grace to the people that we live around. How else are they going to see Jesus? They're not going to read. I mean, you can give them all the, I mean, people have more Bibles. I mean, I've got more Bibles in my home. I can't read all the Bibles I have. I have different translations and, and some of them I can't, uh, still the, some of the Hebrew and Greek I can't read. I mean, I can read it, but I don't know what it's saying. I have to look it up. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not that, I mean, you have to spend years and years and years and years and years to get that. But guess what? I do have a Bible I can read and it tells me what God's plan for me and for others is. And that gives me comfort. But you know, there's a second Jonah, isn't there? Who did not refuse to not go? Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God the Father, what? He was, God says, who will go? And Jesus said, I'll go. And he came down to earth. That second Jonah came down. And he knew that when he came down, he would have to endure rejection he would endure the cross. He would endure all the shame that's related to the cross so that you and I could be a part of his family. I mean, that's what Jonah, that's, what, that, that's the true Jonah of the Bible. See, the Jonah of the Old Testament that didn't do God's will, I mean, he didn't do it in the way God wanted him to do it. Guess what? The true Jonah did. And it says he despised the shame. Who for the joy that was before him, it says he despised the shame. All the shame and all the stuff that people would heap on him and treat him. They basically called him a, a wine bibber. They called, him, they called him crazy. They ripped his beard out. They spit in his face. And then they crucified him. And Jesus said it was well worth it. I'll go. See, that's the gospel. And that's the kind of heart that I don't think I really have. It. You know, I'm, there's times where, you know, Lord, I love people, but boy, not, I don't love them that much. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't love them to the moon and back like, you know, uh, Chris's mom would uh, say to the kids. I love you to the moon and back. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll get you halfway there. But, buddy, I tell you, if it gets tough, I'm turning back. There's not enough in there. See, we have to be touched by this story, right? I mean, that's what the whole point of this story is to say, God's trying to show me my heart too and say, yes, a lot of times I'm like Jonah. I mean, what's God's mercy? There's one guy said it this way. He taught at uh, Dallas Seminary. And he used to say this, uh, Dr. Pentecost. Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable. That's me. That's you. It's both intensely personal and immensely practical for when I'm treated unfairly, guess what? God's mercy relieves my bitterness. When I grieve over loss, it relieves my pain and anger and denial. When I struggle with disability, it, it, it relieves my self-pity. And when I endure physical pain, it relieves my hopelessness. And when I deal with being sinful, it relieves my guilt. But isn't that what Ephesians 2.5 says? It says that we're dead in trespasses and sins, but it says, but God who is rich in what? Mercy. Have you ever prayed that prayer in Psalm 51? Have mercy upon me, oh God, have mercy. I'm a pitiful case, Lord. I am, I am, I am miserable. 
and to say, Lord, have mercy. But notice what Ephesians 2, 5 says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, you know what God wants to do? He's going to show you off. So in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his judgment, no, of his grace. You are a trophy, and I'm a trophy of grace. That's all, that's the gospel. I'm a trophy of grace. I, Lord, why in the world would you want to show me off? <laughs> I mean, give me a break, you know? Because I'm like the Gentiles. I'm like those Ninevites that says, I was separated from the, what? I'm separated from God. I'm separated from the word of God, the worship of God. And God in his mercy. America, guess what? Was a rich land of Christian freedom because, because what? They came over here for one main reason. The big, main, main reason was religious freedom. They were being oppressed in England. They could not worship in spirit and truth. They were put in prison. They were cut. Their heads were cut off. They were, I mean, they, they were burned in fire. And we have this freedom because we're trophies of God's grace. That's simply it. Nothing that I did deserves it. That's about that grace. And what Kenny was saying, yeah, hey, I can't take any credit for any of this. You know, it's all grace. God's unmerited favor to me. And I don't want to be Jonah paying the fare and never getting there. And I don't, I want my refunds. You know, if I deserve a refund, I want it, right? And you know, and by the way, when you deserve a refund, what do you do? You call them up and you complain and you drive there and you say, look, I didn't get my service. I want a refund. Guess what? Jonah never got his refund, but he got something better, didn't he? He got to see the heart of God. And that's what God's showing us. He's showing us his heart in Jonah. And as we read through this, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun study. When we, when we, we read Jonah, we're going, to, we're going to see God's heart here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your promises. And, and now, Lord, we're just richly blessed to be a part of your family. And so, Father, may we, as we see your heart, may you change our heart to be like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.